Good morning. So good to be with you as we have gathered together to worship our Lord, our Savior, Jesus Christ. We are involved in a series of the Psalms. Started this back in September. And uh, this morning I'd love for you to take your Bible and turn with me, if you will, uh, once again to the Psalms. And we're going to be looking today at Psalm 34, verses 1 down through verse 10. Now, as you see in your insert this morning, this is what is known as an acrostic psalm. For the people in Israel, then, this was an opportunity that parents had to be able to help their children memorize Scripture. Because every verse begins with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet. You see. And we've kind of explained that for you in the insert. When you get to the very end then, it's sort of the epilogue that ties it all together. Also, because the Psalms are structured in a way that they're meant to be understood in groupings, when you get into the 30s, Psalm 30 through 40, what you'll find, we're still in book one of, Psalm one, uh, of the Psalms, is that Psalms 34 through 37 have direct bearing upon what I will call sufferings as they relate to, well, Innocent sufferers, and I say innocent, not sinless, innocent. And then there's a second grouping, they're bracketed as well, where Psalms 38 through 41, which ends book one, and deal with the suffering as it pertains to the guilty sufferer. Also, there seems to be a direct relationship between the acrostic psalms and creation psalms. So that when you read an acrostic psalm, look for a creation psalm before or after, and it helps you to better understand how, how God is structuring the psalms in a way that can have a, mm, direct bearing upon your life, my life as well. Now, today's study in Psalm 34 finds its bearings, its root, in 1 Samuel chapter 21 and on into chapter 22. In 1 Samuel chapter 21, David is fleeing King Saul. He is suffering. He's at a point of deprivation. He has very little with him. And he's going to gather around him fellow soldiers who are in like straits, about 400 in all. They're going through very difficult times. What we're going to use repeatedly this morning as we're pondering this together, distressing times. Because that's what 1 Samuel chapter 21 on into 22 is all about. That's your direct bearing, your historical context. And so what we're going to allow now is for David's, what I would call his historically oriented understanding, to express himself poetically in ways that will have direct linkage to your life and my life in 2022 today. So I'd love to read verse 1 down to verse 10, each of which starts with the next letter in the Hebrew alphabet, meant again for memorization for those that are going through times of what I will call distress. And you pick it up now after seeing the superscription, which reads of David when he changed his behavior before Abimelech, so that he drove him out and he went away. That was the king of Gath, besetting the city of Goliath. Shows you how much distress that David was in, that he would go 
to the city of Goliath to escape. Saul, you and I will find that when people are in a time period of extraordinary distress, they will go to extremes to be able to handle the difficulties of life. David's there. He'll talk about it in Psalm 34. When he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord, <clears throat> excuse me, and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. And those who look to him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. And this poor man cried. The Lord heard him. And saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers him. Now the invitation. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Let's look to our Lord in prayer. And so, our Father, we're looking now at a period of time where there's a time of distress. And we know that you, the sovereign God, entered into distress when you sent the second member of the Trinity on the Via Della Rosa, making his way to the cross. entering into the sufferings of humanity, yet distinguished from us in that we are sinful. He's sinless. And then as our substitute and died in our place for our sins, his work was validated three days later when you raised him from the grave. Our Lord knows something about distress to the nth degree. So Father, this morning as we as a congregation of multiple services and for the growing involvements online, as we begin to ponder and look through our life story and think about the periods of distress, maybe distant, maybe extraordinarily recent, we've gone through. We've got a Savior who left it all behind 
and went to the cross to die for our sins. The sinless for the sinful. You're not aloof from us. You're directly involved with us. We praise you. So Father, warm these hearts, engage these minds, and shape these wills. As again, our Father, we've come here to see Jesus and him only. Praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. A testimony of thankfulness. It was 1938. Roman Tiersky tells the story, and it's a powerful one. It's the time for World War II, whereas a Polish flyer, he was returning home from France. His plane developed engine trouble and had to land for repairs in Nazified Vienna, Austria. The Nazis had, had created quite a, a stakehold in that area stronghold, and the next morning as Tersky stepped out of his hotel to make his way toward a cab to resume his flight, there was this man that came running out the door and crashed right into him. Before Tersky knew what hit, the man, white with fear, whispered into Tersky's ear, Gestapo, and then repeated it. Gestapo. Tiersky rushed the man through the lobby up to his own room, arranged the man's slender body under the covers at the foot of his bed, and then he, Tiersky, made himself look like he had just gotten up. And after the visiting Gestapo had checked his passport, shouted questions, they left the room get this, without even searching. Well, the pilot showed his grateful visitor his flight map. They didn't talk, speak the same language, you see, had to use gestures. They communicated by such. Tiersky, no, he couldn't take him to Warsaw, had to land in Krakow, and so drawing prison bars on the margin of the map he indicated to his new friend that the police would be there to search his plane. You're on your own. You would land in a meadow just over the Polish border and you'd have to make your way from there. They did. He was. Tiersky landed at Krakow Reading his story, the police were there to search his plane. They had been told he'd assisted a man to escape from Vienna. And when they found nothing, they released him. And when Tiersky asked why the man had been wanted, the response was succinct and simple. He's a Jew. What's the rest of the story? I'll tell you at the end. 
World War II was not the only time period of distress. Whether it be nationally, globally, or in some of our cases through the course of these weeks, months, years, personally, we can relate to David and David's psalm can relate to you and relate to me because this is a psalm that is penned for distressed people. And what we're going to be able to spot almost immediately is that in times of distress, we are able to recognize that the name of God is to be stressed. Because the name of God, Yahweh in the Hebrew, Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized in English, leaps out of these verses, begging for us to be able to think about how this relates to modern day life. And we're going to do that. We're going to build three bridges of encouragement in these passages that have direct bearing upon the way in which you and I handle what I would call the times of distress, keeping in mind our Savior who went to the cross to die for our sins. And the first of the three means of encouragement, rooted in verse 1 down through verse 3, and we're going to pen it like this, as you and I, as we consider God, how God works in our times of distress, I want to begin here this morning by knowing that we bless the Lord, and we do so at all times. So now, notice how this begins, but keep in mind the superscription. This was in a time period when David was fleeing Saw to such a degree that he had to go into enemy territory, the city of Goliath. How would they view David? Where do you find security in times of distress? It's time to go vertical. And so now David begins in verse 1 with this opening statement I will bless the Lord. Did you notice that? The word bless here immediately stands out. It carries with it in the Hebrew the idea to bend at the knee. To bend at the knee. Which means then, in your stress and my distress of life, before we find ourselves prone to bend at the knee to the distress we've experienced, check yourself. Bend your knee. to the Lord who is sovereign over the distress of life. Bend the knee. But not horizontally. Bend the knee. Vertically. That's the Hebrew concept of bless. But you notice furthermore, it says, I, it's very personal, will bless the Lord. L-O-R-D, Yahweh, the covenantal name for God. Another way to put it, he is your relational God. He is not distant from you. In your times of distress, he is engaged with you. But furthermore, as you and I are examining this phrase together, did you notice that it says, I will bless the Lord 
at all times, or in the Hebrew, in all times. In other words, no matter what the experience, I will bless the Lord. No matter what the encounter, I will bless the Lord. And you will look very carefully at the story of Job, which we covered a few years ago as a congregation. Took a long time to do it. But in the opening section, when David, excuse me, Job has experienced one loss after another, and it just seems so cumulative, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job would cry out. What was happening at this point was that there was a cosmic battle at hand as to whether or not Job's allegiance to God was based upon the blessings God provided to Job. The evil one thought remove the blessings and Job would curse God. Blessings are removed, but the blessing remains because he goes, he goes vertical and the entire cosmic realm takes in what has just been expressed. Not some of the time. I'll bless the Lord all the times. His praise shall continually, not periodically, not episodically. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. So now I can almost imagine that David looks out over his, his soldiers and they're grappling and they are experiencing the distress of life. Because in 1 Samuel chapter 22, when David escaped to the cave of Adullam and his brothers and all his house heard, they went down there to him. And in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, you and I told everyone who was in distress. Everyone who was in distress. Everyone who was in debt. Everyone who is bitter in soul gathered to him, and he became commander over them, and there were with him about 400 men who will be given first-hand opportunity to experience the sense of, I will bless the Lord at all times from the lips of their commander, who had to go to such extremes that he would flee from King Saul only to head into the territory of the giant named Goliath. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. And so now they see the authenticity of testimony. And when you and I go through the distressing times of life, we have the opportunity to be able to offer a testimony of thankfulness, because this is what seizes people's attention during days such as these. So what does he do? If you make a connection between verse 1 and verse 2, 
In verse 1, it talks about the fact his praise shall continually be in my mouth. That is the outward expression. But this is no lip service because there is direct connection between the outward and the inward in his life experience. Because immediately after expressing how he will, he will communicate verbally, outwardly, he then says, my soul makes its boast in the Lord. And now he looks inwardly. When you and I go through distressing times, then, what we do is to make absolutely certain that there's a powerful connection between the internals and the externals of life in what it is I'm experiencing connects with what it is that I'm expressing. My soul makes its boast where, for the second time, he reiterates, in the Lord, not in his capabilities, not in his military prowess, personalize it, not in our capabilities, not whatever it is that we do to be able to get ahead in life. My soul makes its boast in the Lord, and now he expresses in extraordinarily humble terms. Let the humble hear and be glad because the proud they don't have ears to hear such things. And then in verse 3, in times of distress, O magnify the Lord. Upstairs in the house, there's a telescope. And every time I'm looking at it, I'm pondering how in which magnification has direct bearing upon the way that that telescope is to be used. Because what a telescope does for us is that it takes through magnification that which seems so far away and brings it near. In our times of distress, you're going to be trafficking with people who it feels as though God seems so far away. Your testimony brings him near. Your testimony of thankfulness. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. You are telescopic at this point. You are taking the one who might seem far away in the souls of others, and now you're bringing them near as you're telling your story. And now, what do you do? You get your arms around that crowd and you say, let us, it's not gonna, I'm not going to go solo on this, let us exalt his name together. Monday night, powerful gathering. portion, a portion of the overall congregation gathered together to hear what I'll call testimonies of thankfulness. Testimonies of thankfulness in distressing times where one after another powerful testimonies from remarkable people who love Jesus as Lord and Savior 
they got up and shared their story of loss. Initially, I was standing in the back. I do that for at the start of services, trying to get a lay of the land. Took my seat momentarily in the back, then would make my way front. But while standing in the back, pulled out this golf ball. You know I had to bring some kind of sports illustration into this thing, you know. And, you know, when they first manufactured golf balls, they made the covers smooth. But then it was discovered that after a ball had been distressed, you could get more out of it, more distance out of it. And so they began to manufacture golf balls with distressing marks all over. So it is with life. You see, God takes the rough spots in your life, uses them, uses them so that your distance can go further. Thank you to each and every one that shared Monday night. Powerful testimonies. Your testimonies go further. We consider, as we consider, how God works in our times of distress. You begin, not by bending the knee towards the distress of life, We bend the knee, we bless the Lord, and we do so at all times because he's the sovereign God who sent Jesus into the world, who experienced the distress of the cross, died for our sins, and three days later was raised from the grave, validating, you see, his profession that he, in fact, is the second member of the Trinity. We bend the knee. We bless the Lord, not episodically, not periodically. We do so at all times, and that's what you get out of verses 1, 2, and 3, where each verse is marked by a capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, Hebrew word Yahweh, okay? Stay with me. Because now the second means of encouragement Flow out of verses 4 down through 7. That you and I, as we consider God's works in our times of distress, not only then do we bless the Lord, doing so at all times, but now furthermore, we seek the Lord, coming to him in prayer. So now I want you to be able to spot with me how in the military exercises of life that David was involved with, He was a man of prayer. Notice now, I can almost picture he takes the 400 soldiers. These are men who, in 1 Samuel 22, verse 2, we were told, were distressed. And he places stress before the distressed. The stress being stress upon the name of the Lord. 
I sought the Lord. I can almost see David at this point pausing for dramatic effect, leaning forward toward his troops and then saying, and he answered me. Now, he's got credibility. They realized that this man had gone into the very city of Goliath. He had to escape Saul. He went into the city of Goliath. Now he's in some cave, the cave of Adullam. What I'm saying at this point is that his testimony carries weight. His... His golf ball goes the distance, travels further, yet's marked, scarred. But he's able to say, in the scarring of my life, I sought the Lord. He answered me. And furthermore, delivered me. He's being open with you from all my fears. And some of us are held captive by fears. At the Ukrainian border, where Russian troops are massing in numbers, a restaurant owner being interviewed said, You can't live in fear the whole time. Ukrainian skin just keeps getting thicker and thicker. You just don't pay attention. What's at your border? Now, notice at this point then, David is being very open with you and open with me. And so then he acknowledges He delivered me from all of my difficulties. That's not what it says at this point, does it? He delivered me from all my fears. So now it might be wise to some point in the coming days, note your fears one by one, give them to God. So you can be freed from all that, liberate it, And then when you've got something to say, your words go the distance, you see. Out of all that, in verse 5 now, you can almost sense David's countenance when he adds, those who look to him, not at me, those who look to him are radiant in their faces, shall never be ashamed. And all the men around him that might feel distressed by not only their current state, but as they review the story of their life, there can be found a new sense of radiance that emanates from you when you know what grace is all about. God broke in, freed you from the penalty of sin through Jesus. Those who look to him are radiant. Their faces should never be ashamed. This poor man, see his humility here at this point, 
cried, and the Lord heard him, saved him out of all his troubles. What a testimony to share as he goes from this whole matter. We bless the Lord in 1 through 3 to the, we seek the Lord in 4 down to verse 7. He was a man who understood exactly what's being said. In the book, The Habitation of Dragons, the author Keith Miller tells an incredible story that relates to this. It's about a man he knew called Joe, who met Miller at one of his meetings when Miller was teaching from God's word. Now, humanly speaking, this was a chance encounter because Joe lived on the other side of the U.S. from Miller. But believe it or not, Joe had been arranging for a a drug deal. And when he was heading to the particular house where the exchange was to take place, a couple of buddies that knew both Keith Miller and Joe saw him Chance encounter? What are you doing here? Uh, Just passing through, he lied. Great. We're off to hear Keith speak. You got to come with us. And so afraid to give everything away, John went with them and he heard the gospel that night. Keith Miller led him to faith in Jesus. About a year later, Miller received a letter from Joe, and Joe told him how he had put his faith to work. Total reversal of all things in life. People were beginning to take notice. Like David in Psalm 34, he really wanted to share the reason for this newfound sense of joy with all of his business colleagues but he was not very accomplished yet at explaining Christianity. So his purpose was in connecting with Keith Miller to see if if Miller would come across country to his hometown and address his friends who would gather to hear the story. Miller writes, to be honest, it was a great way for me to just speak to the small company of Joe's friends Didn't want to discourage him as a new convict, so I agreed, but yet somewhat reluctantly. My plane arrived late in Joe's town, had we whisked in a car to the hall where the meeting was scheduled to take place, taken through the back door, and oddly pointed towards a platform, and when I began walking up, expecting to see the opportunity to speak to about a dozen or so of Joe's business colleagues, Lo and behold, there I was positioned in a hall containing over 800 people who had crowded this building in order to hear why Joe's life was changed. Miller writes, I realized in that moment that all the Christian promotions and programs, all the billboards and glossy campaigns, are virtually worthless to motivate people to become Christians unless they see an ordinary person like Joe 
finding new hope, a new way to live in Christ. And then they will listen. As we consider how God works in our times of distress, we bless the Lord, we seek the Lord. But you know, David is a military man. And he, he, he talks in military terms. And that's what verse 7 is all about. When he says, the angel of the Lord encamps. The word encampment. The word encampment here is a, is a military term. The angel of the Lord encamps around what? Whom? Those who fear him and delivers them. Those who fear him. Great actor. Denzel Washington said, I am a God-fearing man. I try not to worry. Fear is contaminated faith. Now that's good. But what about this angel of the Lord? What do you make of him? David knew the story. In 1 Samuel chapter 16 of verse 7, I think Dr. Kaiser has just taught on this. My former professor in the other room. Hagar is out in the desert. She's been expelled from her home. She's feeling desperate and alone. And we're told in Genesis chapter 16, verse 7, the angel of the Lord found her by a spring of water in the wilderness. The angel of the Lord in your Older Testament, whether it be in the patriarchal period or in the time of Judges, the angel of the Lord carried an identity with the Lord, and yet he was also sent from the Lord. The title, Angel of the Lord, refers to a Christophany. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ, an appearance in the Older Testament. He would appear to this hurting woman who has lost everything in the wilderness in Genesis chapter 16 of verse 7. And now David is saying that in my time of distress, when I was fleeing Saul, and incredibly enough, I had to flee him to the extent I headed to the city of Goliath, Gath. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and deliver him. And David would nod his head when he would hear Denzel Washington say, I'm a God-fearing man. I try not to worry. Fear 
is contaminated faith. You're on to the three of the three, third of the three encouragements. Because thirdly now, we fear the Lord. We fear the Lord, experiencing his gracious provisions. Because it says, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. O fear the Lord, you his saints. For those who fear him have no lack. Isn't it ironic that he's saying you're going to find refuge in the one whom you fear? So now he's going to ask himself, who do I fear more? Saul? Or my Lord? Do I want to take refuge with Saul? Or do I want to take refuge with the Lord? And so he says, So taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, taste and see. It was after the last of the Christmas Eve services. I think I was the last out of the building. Uh, time to head home. Walk through the door. There's warmth in the fireplace. Love the fireplace. It's glowing. Walk into the kitchen, and in the entire Highlander clan is now present there. I've come in from out of state, in various states. Everyone's there. I'm a little weary by that point. As I listen to each of them, and out is this spread of various foods. And I can hear now just saying to Joe, oh, you got to taste this. It is so good. And all I could think of at that point was Psalm 34. It is an amazing thing when someone who's going through distress in life can say to a person who's going through distress in life, you've got to taste this. Taste and see. The Lord is good. And so now you tie it to verse 1, don't you? That word blessed, to bend at the knee. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You're either going to have to take refuge with the saws of this life or with God who is sovereign over the saws of this life, which will it be? Even in Gath, you can take refuge because God is sovereign over Saul as he was over Goliath. Ah, so David says, fear the Lord. And now I can see him looking out over his congregation of 400 men at this point. You, his saints, for those who fear him have no lack. Yet we're told in 1 Samuel chapter 22, verse 2, those guys lacked. They were lacking. They were, they were hurting. And so, using an analogy, 
And David would say, the young lions suffer hunger. But picking up again on that whole idea of seeking, blessing, seeking, fearing. Those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. And maybe you feel like, but you've lost so many good things in life. But then there's the rest of the story. I promised I would. I'm keeping my promise, you know. For you see, Roman Tierski served as a fighter pilot in the Polish Air Force. And after Poland's defeat, yeah, he and others crossed into Romania where they were caught and sent into concentration camps, Nazi concentration camps. This is some kind of guy. He escaped, joined the French Air Force, after Francis' fall, headed off to England, fought in the Battle of Britain, where we're told one of his missions, well, he rammed a German plane, was hit by a scrap of its tail, partially blinded with blood. He was unconscious when he crash-landed his Spitfire in England. Skull had been fractured. The chief surgeon at the hospital thought it was useless to operate but he awoke and saw a narrow face looking down at him. It was a surgeon. And this face looks very familiar. He had been the fugitive passenger that had arrived in Warsaw. And before the war, he escaped to Scotland, and he heard that a Polish squadron had distinguished itself in the Battle of Britain. And this man thought that Tersky just might be in it, wrote to inquire, found out he was. He knew Tersky's name because, well, Tersky had written on the margin of his map. And the day before he had read of a Polish hero shooting down five enemy planes, crash landing near a certain hospital, the piece had indicated the flyer's condition seemed hopeless. He asked the Royal Air Force in Edinburgh to fly him to the hospital. Tersky looks up at him, still trying to put it all together, and then asks, and why are you here? To which this Jewish man responded, I thought at last I could do something to express my thankfulness. For you see, I am a neurosurgeon. And today, I operated on you early this morning. We bless the Lord. We seek the Lord. We fear the Lord. And when we live with this form of encouragement, our testimony's got distance. It's the testimony 
of thankfulness. Let's stand together. So Father, gut feeling, first service, second service, online right now, online through weeks to come. We're dealing with various forms of distress. Now the question's gonna be where do I bend and to what and to whom do I bend the knee? Remind us we've got to go the distance. And so, Father, may we now take what it is we've experienced in life and tell others about the God who's sovereign over life, who sent Jesus to die for our sins. And for this, we give you the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.